Hey everyone, this is Megan. I am coming on here to share with you guys a bonus episode from July 2022, this past summer. And if you'd like to hear the rest or hear some extra episodes, uh, bonus episodes or science newsies, um, or see some photos from our vacations this past summer, all that kind of stuff, and all of our new stuff coming up this year, you can join our Patreon by going to you're gonna die out there.com or checking out our Patreon link in our LinkedIn on Instagram. And thanks so much for listening. All right, here's the episode. Hey, all you nature nerds. This is You're Gonna Die Out There bonus Patreon episode. Hello, Nature Nerd family. We are here. We are back for you. Well, actually, Megan is gone this month. Yeah. But yeah. we have pre-recorded because she's actually right here with me right now. Obviously. So it's like in June, but we July re- bonus episode. Yes, we're making this just for you. No one else is getting this. Just you beautiful nerds. Special. It's so special. You'll be doing our science news. Today I will. I will be, be doing a, a science news um, unless we have any announcements other than we'll be back in August. Yeah, I don't think we have any other announcements. Send us your stories. Send us your thoughts. Just because we're on a, a recording break doesn't mean we don't want to hear from you. That's right. So we always love hearing from you. All right, Jen, I'm ready for your science newsies. All right, Megan, are you ready for some amazing news that I found in Science Daily. I'm ready. Let's go. Because they give us daily doses of science. (laughs) So this is from an article that was published in the journal Science. Science. (laughs) On June 23rd, real recent to our current time. It is entitled Secrets of Aging Revealed in Largest Study of Longevity, Aging in Reptiles and Amphibians. I know we've talked about this before, and we actually got some feedback about how alligators or crocodiles, crocodiles yeah. how they age. Mm-hmm. And we were kind of like, there's some studies out there that say that they don't really age. Mm-hmm. They just die like, from stuff. They wear down their teeth so much that yes, they can't that was eat it. anymore. That yeah. was it. Okay. This was basically, they pulled a lot of information from different studies. So they had an international team of 114 scientists reports. And so this was the most comprehensive study of aging and longevity to date Hmm. of reptiles and amphibians. So they say among their many findings, they document for the first time that turtles, crocodilians, and salamanders have particularly low aging rates and extended lifespans for their sizes. They also found that protective phenotypes, such as hard shells, of most turtle species contributing to slower aging, and in some cases, even and this is in little quotes, negligible aging or Mm. lack of biological aging. Not reversing, just it's not happening. It just, you're not, yeah. Aging as we know it, Mm -hmm. like we're getting wrinkly, gray hair, our back always hurts. (laughs) That left shoulder just won't let up. (laughs) That stuff. Yeah. Apparently they don't have it. Hmm. So they have an example here. They say this 190-year-old giant tortoise, which is named Jonathan, Located in the Seychelles. Mm. Mm-hmm. 
He made news for being the oldest living land animal in the world. And they say, although anecdotal evidence like this exists, that some species of turtles and other ectotherms or cold-blooded animals, there's mm-hmm, some, mm-hmm. some science uh, vocabulary vocab for you, that, that they live a long time. And, but the evidence, they say, is spotty and mostly focused on animals living in zoos and not many in the wild. Right. They took this team of scientists. I love picturing a team of scientists, by the way, because <laughs> so many things pop into my head like they're all wearing lab coats for sure it's like the avengers but in white lab coats yeah 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 which we know isn't right yeah no at all no but anyway so they took all this information this is led for out of penn state and northeastern illinois university and did this comprehensive study and they did it by looking at all these people's data from tag and recapture data Hmm. so basically they had information from animals that they had already tagged collected uh, morphometric information on during mm-hmm. the first capture. And then later, you know, in years or however long, they were able to cap- get more data and then use all of that information to kind of collectively see how these animals are aging. Hmm. So from this mark recapture data, their goal was to analyze this variation in ectotherm aging and longevity in the wild compared to endotherms or warm-blooded mm-hmm. animals and explore these different hypotheses that are related to aging, including the mode of body temperature regulation and presence and or absence of protective physical traits. Because a lot of times they think if you're the cold-blooded animal that you're going to metabolize slower. Yeah. But that they found was not necessarily the case. Oh. So they actually found that ectotherms, they age at rates and lifespans above and some below known aging rates for similar size endotherms, right? Mm. If you follow. Yeah. So they say that animals, that the way animals regulate temperature, like cold-blooded versus warm-blooded, is not necessarily indicative of its aging rate or or lifespan. And they didn't find support for the idea that a lower metabolic rate means ectotherms are aging slower. They actually found that relationship was only true for turtles which suggests that turtles are unique among ectotherms. Hmm. I wonder if it's the shell. It is. Oh. (laughs) Next, they say the protective phenotype hypothesis suggests that animals with physical or chemical traits that confer protection, such as like armor, spines, shells, or venom, have a slower aging and greater longevity. Interesting, huh? What I hear you saying is that I should really think about getting a shell to protect myself at all times, <laughs> live in that shell, yeah. and eventually become a reptile. Well, I'm into it. Why not? So they documented that these protective traits enable animals to age more slowly, and in the case of physical protection, live much longer for their size than those without protective phenotypes. I mean, that makes sense. Yeah. So anyway, it's a really interesting they said it sounds dramatic to say that they don't age at all, but basically their likelihood of dying does not change with age once they're past reproduction. So the authors were saying that this negligible aging, mm-hmm. because it's kind of confusing, right? Like, right, yeah. what does that mean? They age, but they don't age. But negligibly? Negligible. <laughs> so it means that if the, here's how they explain it. If the animal's chance of dying in a year is 1% at age 10, If it is alive at 100 years, its chance of dying is still 1% Hmm. or 1. By contrast, in adult females in the U.S., which I I don't know why they picked adult females. We're fun. 
I guess, you know, people just like to F around with us. That's the truth. Anyway, so their risk of dying in a year is about one in 2,500 at the age of 10. Okay. okay? And it goes to one in 24 at, by the age of 80. Okay. That Does that make sense? sense? So yeah. when a species exhibits negligible deterioration, aging just doesn't happen. Right. So it just stays the same. And I guess other factors will cause you to die. Like, you know. You break a hip. You get run over by a car. True. Because you're a turtle. I get it. Okay. Yeah. I guess. So I'm like, so they can just keep going as long as there's no kind of external factors. Because mm-hmm. it's not going to be the biological aging that causes them to just deteriorate. It would be like pollution in the ocean or yes, a giant shark. Yeah. Yeah. Or yeah. some kind of disease. Or getting, if you're a sea turtle, getting caught in a net. But or... not because they're going to break their hip and die that way. Well, because they won't deteriorate to where they get like osteoporosis. Right, right. <laughs> and break a hip. <laughs> uh, but anyway, very interesting. So you guys should check this paper out. Because I know that the last time when we talked about it, a lot of people wrote into us and they're like, well, what about this? And what, you know, like it, it is super interesting. Mm-hmm. So basically... Being a turtle, I guess, you know, if you want to live a long time, ain't such a bad thing. Pretty cool. Yeah. So lots of authors in this. And the the final word on this was understanding the comparative landscape of aging across animals can reveal flexible traits that may prove worthy targets for biomedical study related to human aging. But I also feel like just on out of my brain and side note, I feel like this is going to be an interesting thing as we move forward doing uh, climate change. Um, studies sure. and how it affects different species in relation to their aging. Yeah. Yeah. So very interesting. Yay, science. Thanks for sharing that, Jen. I enjoyed that. I, I knew you would because it's reptiles. Reptiles. And you love them. Always good. Yeah. A little, little ectotherm science. Vocab word for the day. <laughs> um, all right. So I have a little story for you today. Mm -hmm. It is okay. I didn't actually tie it to any kind of natural thing. So I apologize, nature nerds, but I found this story to be really interesting. Okay. It is a survival story. We we like those. Well, you know, we do. That's what we talk about. Yeah. But we try to throw in some, yeah, some nerdy stuff. So today I'm going to talk about Louis Sylvie Zamperini. Oh, nice. Italian? Italian. That's why. <laughs> First generation Italian American. He okay. was born January 26, 1917, in Olean, New York. And I have no idea where Olean, New York is. Louis Zamperini was born to his dad, Anthony Zamperini, which is my dad's first name, fun. And mm-hmm. uh, his mom, Louise Dossi, which is like her maiden name, right? Uh, they were both native to Verona in Northern Italy. Oh, pretty cool. Um, He had an older brother named Pete and two younger sisters, Virginia and Sylvia, and they were raised in a very strict, devout Catholic household. I love those names. Yeah. Virginia and Sylvia. 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 So, yeah, they're super Catholic Mm -hmm. because, you know, Italian. But he was like not into necessarily following the rules. When he was really young, he started drinking and smoking. So when they were, when he was like two, they actually moved from New York to Long Beach. I thought you were going to say when he was two, he started (laughs) drinking and smoking. I was like, wow, that's hardcore. (laughs) Just, he had a little like digestive after dinner. No. Um, So no, when he was two, they moved from New York to Long Beach, California. That was in 1919. And they actually lived in Torrance. He eventually went to the school, Torrance High School. But 
When he was five, he started smoking cigarettes, which isn't that uncommon for that time. That is not that time. so far away from two. Yeah, it's not so far away. From, it's only I was like, years. wait a second, five? Five. Uh, and well, I guess kids were like already working. Yeah, like doing all full jobs by that time. Uh, he also started drinking by the time he was eight and he would get into a lot of trouble. OK, holy cow. Um, there's like a couple stories that where he supposedly he almost died twice, uh, once because of a house fire. I don't know if that was like he set the fire or he was smoking in bed <laughs> yeah. when he was six. Having <laughs> <laughs> I mean, his like before bed his, smoke. His beer and cigarette. He just fell asleep in the lazy boy. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and then the other time, this is crazy, was he fell into an oil rig and almost died drowning in oil. Oh, no. That's yeah. Isn't that insane? Terrible. Yeah. Um, so he and his family spoke no English when they moved to California and he became a target for bullies. Obviously, he and his siblings learned English in the school system uh, and people would bully them also because they were Italian. They're like, you don't speak English or this Italian. They would use all sorts of slurs. Obviously, we can like imagine it in our minds. And he would get into a lot of trouble fighting with these local bullies. Uh, he also started <laughs> in one of the articles that said, he built an adolescent criminal empire based around stealing anything that wasn't nailed down from neighbors and local businesses. I'm like, come on, just because he's Italian, don't try to say he started. He is like, straight up mafia. Mob. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So apparently, he would get into all these fights. He would he would get into like fist fights with other kids and like give them black eyes. And they would give him black eyes. Um, at one Gosh. point, he deflated a teacher's car tires after she uh, disciplined him. And he apparently also threw tomatoes at police. I am picturing all of this in black and white, by the way. Oh, it's like should. I'm watching yeah. like the little rascals. <laughs> yes. But it's him being like really naughty. Yeah. Super naughty. Yeah. And like uh, when he's running from the police, it's like fast. Like, you yeah. know, like <laughs> it has like the music in the background. It's <laughs> yeah. Sped up a little it bit. It's sped up. Right. All the cops are wearing like the old timey uniforms. He has like a striped shirt on or something. He punches a kid and then the next frame is like the black. They like put the black stuff on the eye. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. So apparently at some point his father taught him how to box. So I don't know if it was like he was getting beat up and then his father taught him how to box and then he was blacking, blacking out people's eyes. I don't know. Anyway, that fits perfectly. Yes. At one point he was chased and caught by police because he stole some beer. And they took him home and they, I guess his parents were like pretty well regarded in the community among the adults. And so they were like, you need to get this kid like under control. He's out of control. This is like, I think he was like 10, maybe 12 years old when this happened. They're like, we're sorry. We forgot to get him his nightly beer. <laughs> yeah. At some point he claimed that he, quote, would would be beating the tar out of every one of them. But I was so good at it that I started relishing the idea of getting even. I was sort of addicted to it. So I guess he he was into this whole like, you know, rebel business. Mafia. Anyway. Um, his older brother, Pete, was like, OK, this is you're out of control, dude. He was in high school. He was actually a track star. And he was like, you got to get into something else. Put this energy someplace else. So he's like. Let's start running. I'm going to teach you how to run. You're going to run track with me. I think his first race, he was pretty badly losing. Because he was coughing from smoking yeah. since he was five? <laughs> yes. Um, but he's <laughs> on the side, just like hands on knees, bent over, just like right. coughing. And I will just mention here in the beginning that I watched a movie about Lewis's life. Uh-huh. And it's really great. It's a good movie. And actually, it's really... They did a good job of 
putting everything that happened to him in real life into the movie. And this part might have been a little bit dramatized, but in one of his races, he was really far back. And his brother was like, I know he's better than this. I've seen him run away from his bullies. <laughs> like he's a much faster runner. And so he yelled a slur for an Italian immigrant. And he was like, hey, you know, get moving. And he, I guess that angered him enough that Lewis just like he was losing the race and at the very last minute passed everybody. Like he was some kind of crazy He's just track fueled star. by anger. Yeah, fueled by anger and like... So Megan, anger. yeah, are we going to do a trailer review? Uh, no, we're not. It was actually a really serious movie, so like, we can't do a funny oh, trailer. Shoot. Yeah. All right. <laughs> we could though. I mean... I mean, it's fun. It's fine. If it's anyway. too if it's too good, like we don't want to, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. After he started running, Lewis had this role model that he really looked up to for distance running. This guy he was a, an athlete, Glenn Cunningham. And actually, at the end of his freshman year in high school, he finished fifth. This is Lewis in the all city C division. That's 660 yards or 600 meter dash. Lewis says, quote, it was the recognition. Nobody in school except for a few of my buddies knew my name before I started running. Then, as I started winning races, other kids called me by my name. Pete told me I had to quit drinking and smoking if I wanted to do well, and that I had to run, run, run. I decided that summer to go all out. Overnight, I became a fanatical. I wouldn't even have a milkshake. So he gets super, super serious into running, and he leaves his life of crime behind. And milkshakes. And milkshakes. That's pretty hardcore. Yeah. So after he did that summer of running, that was in 1932. Mm -hmm. He's in like a freshman in high school, like the summer between freshman and sophomore year. He starts running with their cross country team. And throughout the last three years of high school, he was undefeated. Wow. Like he was just winning everything. Wow. It's like really good runner. Um, he actually started beating his brother's record. So his brother was also a very good runner. In 1934, he set an interscholastic record for the mile, clocking at four minutes, 21.2 seconds. A four-minute mile, Jen. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. And that was at the California State Championships, the preliminary meeting for that state championships. The following week, he won the California State Meet Championships, uh, and he ran that time four minutes, 27.8 seconds. So a little bit slower, but still. Just add 10 <laughs> minutes to that and, and I'm there. Add like four hours to that. <laughs> Just limping along. <laughs> um, so that record helped him win a scholarship to USC. And mm -hmm. then he went on to college at USC and he was part of the Kappa Sigma fraternity. I, I went to a school that had a, a chapter of Kappa Sigmas and they were they were nice people. They drank a lot of beer. That's all I remember. I just... I don't know any of the names the of Greek fraternities. <laughs> I went to school and they, there was tons of them, but they mm -hmm. were all just like, it was like... And you were running them it over. It was gobbledygook to my... Yeah. yeah, I was just like out of my way. Kappa, <laughs> Kappa, Delta, Deltas. <laughs> oh, good times. Uh, in 1936, which was the year my dad was born, uh, Zamperini decided he wanted to try out for the Olympics. So back in that time... Athletes actually had to pay their own way to the Olympic trials. And um, but his dad worked for the railroad. And so he got a free ticket to actually travel to the tryout. Oh, nice. And then a bunch of people from Torrance, like merchants and townspeople were like, you're our local hero. You're going to like do this. It actually got a bunch of money together and helped him go try out for the Olympics which I think is really sweet because he was a criminal. <laughs> I just wonder, yeah, I always, I mean, you know, I think about like the teachers and the police and, all, mm -hmm. you know, all of those people that were probably like really rooting for him. Yeah. Because that's all you would want yeah. is to see like some little troublemaker just 
turn, better. turn into um yeah turn over a new leaf turn into a local hero yeah yeah so that that's his kind of like adolescent journey he did compete for the uh 1500 meters that year and he actually competed against glenn cunningham his like idol is like running idol which is Mm kind of cool also there are some people i don't know who these people are i'm so sorry but they were actually famous athletes archie san romani and gene vensky were all uh challenging to get on that team so i guess he didn't actually make it in the 1500 meters but he did run the 5000 meters and he got a spot on the olympic team for that 5000 meters of running that's so basically he's good at going a distance very quickly. Yeah. Because a lot of people. He has like the endurance. Yeah. They kind of they can't keep mm-hmm. the momentum, I guess. So when he tried out for the Olympics, it was actually one of the hottest days of the year in 1936. There was a heat wave and they were trying. It was at, in New York where they were doing mm-hmm. this race and uh, something, I don't know, like 40 people died from heat stroke in Manhattan alone that week. Whoa. Yeah. So the thing about Lewis... This is like pre-aircon. Yeah, definitely. That's what happened. The thing about Lewis is the way that he ran is that he would kind of like keep a pace, like a pretty, I mean, I guess by runner standards, like a slower pace Mm -hmm. through all of the race until the end. And then he would sprint to the finish. Yeah. And so that's kind of his like way. Uh Uh-huh. So he sprinted to the end. He finished in a dead heat tie against the American record holder, Don Lash. And that's how he qualified for the Summer Olympics. And where were the Summer Olympics that year, Jen? 1936, do you know? Berlin, Germany. Oh, my. Yeah. So Really? Oh, gosh. You know, in all of this uh, World War II reading, um, I feel like that rings a... Like, I've read that before. Yeah, yeah. Very... uh, Interesting time. Yes. Mm -hmm. So he was 19 years old at this time. And uh, I guess specifically, he was 19 years, 178 days old. And because of that, like age, I guess he remains to be the youngest American who qualified for the 5000 meter run. It's an interesting record to this day. Wow. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Nobody thought that him or Don Lash were going to win the 1930 Olympics 5,000 meter race because there was a world record holder, Laurie Lethanen, who was, everybody was like, oh, that, that guy's going to win. I think, I forget what country. Anyway. Australia. Probably. Who knows? Laurie. <laughs> Laurie. L-A, well, I don't know if I said it right. Laurie, Laurie, L-A-U-R-I-L-E-H-T-I-N-E-N. Oh, wow. Yeah. I that was a lot different than what I thought Lethanen. I was. I was thinking like L-O-R-I. <laughs> <laughs> So Lewis later talked about his Olympic experience and that when they were on the boat over to Europe, because, you know, 1936, they're on a boat, mm-hmm. go over to Europe. He was like, quote, I was a Depression era kid who had never even been to a drugstore for a sandwich in my life. All of the food on the boat was free. I had not just one sweet roll, but about seven every morning with, bacons and, with bacon and eggs. My eyes were like saucers. So he gained 12 pounds on the the trip. Right. Yes. I can relate. And you would think because he's a runner, like, wow, that's a lot of weight to gain for a Mm -hmm. runner. Mm -hmm. But he had actually lost 15 pounds when he was in New York training and doing the trials for the Olympics because of the crazy summer heat. Yeah. So it actually helped him out. Yeah. Anyway, I love that. But he... (laughs) Just like I feel like that's what I just did on my food. vacation. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so in 
Oh, so he finished eighth in the Olympics. Um, he got the, the time that he came in at was 14 minutes, 46.8 seconds. Uh, he came in behind Finland. And I think that he might have beat out Don Lash. So Don Lash, I think, came in a little bit like like either ninth or tenth or something like that. Oh, wow. Yeah. But his final lap was 56 seconds and it's like set a world record for one lap. Wow. Yeah. That's Under crazy. a minute. That's how fast he was. He like passed a ton of people because he was at the very back. Uh-huh. And he passed a ton of people to get eighth place. Anyway, apparently Adolf Hitler, who was there, uh-huh. saw this uh-huh. and asked for a personal meeting with Lewis. Oh. And Lewis tells the story that Hitler shook his hand and he said, oh, you're the boy with a fast finish. <laughs> And looking back on this meeting, Mm -hmm. Lewis says, quote, I was pretty naive about world politics and I thought he looked funny, like something out of a Laurel and Hardy film. He he did. A hundred percent. Yeah, I agree. So apparently he did get into a little bit of trouble while he was at the Olympics. Mm -hmm. Before he left Berlin, he almost got shot because he was trying to steal a Nazi flag from the Reich Chancellery. Oh, my God. Well, why didn't he just ask, you know, Adolf, like, can I have one of your flags? Can you one of your flags? I think it was like the point of stealing it. It was right. just like, I'm just going to steal this flag. Anyway, after the Olympics, Lewis goes back. He enrolls again at USC. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in 1938, he sets the National Collegiate Mile. So that's about 1,609 meters. The record, the record that he sent for that set for that mile was four minutes, 8.3 seconds. <laughs> so apparently during this race and when he set this mile, he had these severe cuts on his shins because other competitors in the race were kicking his shins to slow him down, like with their spikes, because they have like the race spikes. Yeah. Anyway, <sighs> his record lasted for 15 years and that earned him the nickname Torrance Tornado. Kind of neat. I'll just tell you a couple of his personal bests. So 800 meters, he came in at like one minute, 53.2 seconds in 1938. 1500 meters, three minutes, 52.6 seconds. 5000 meters, I think this is the Olympics one, 14 minutes, 46.8 seconds. And then his best ever mile run was four minutes, 7.6 seconds. He shaved off another second or so in 1940. Man, that's a very fast runner. Yeah. So 1941, September 1941, he enlists in the um, Army Air Force and he earns a commission there as a second lieutenant. And then he was posted to the Pacific island of Funafuti uh, and he was a bombardier. So he was like the guy who like dropped the bombs out of B-24s. Funafuti. Is that in uh... Tuvalu? Oh, yeah. all right. Yeah, that's cool. So he was part of this group who was on, uh, they were all on a B-24 Liberator bomber called Superman. Mm-hmm. Fun name. Uh, he flew a number of missions, uh, including one famous 1942 December air raid on Wake Island. At that point, I guess their plane almost ran out of fuel and then they barely made it back to Midway Atoll. So they were just kind of like going around the Pacific in these bombardiers. Midway, where the oldest recorded albatross wisdom That's lives. That's right. That's right. Where she lays her eggs. In April 1943, this group on the Superman, they went on a bombarding mission against the Japanese-held island of Nauru. And on that mission, Lewis was the one who's dropping the bombs onto Nauru. All right. Uh, Following that raid, 
their craft was attacked by three Japanese Zeros and something like five of the crew were severely wounded and one of them died on the way back. And this is actually a scene in the movie because it's kind of pivotal. And it's, yeah, they're just kind of, because I guess the B-24s were like kind of open on the sides a little bit. It's like Mm -hmm. a lot of air happening. (laughs) Yeah, people just getting shot in the middle of the plane and just dying. And it made me think about when we're at war and the kind of things that people went through, just seeing people die in front of you. It's insane to me. No, it's, it's tough. I wonder though, how cool was he amongst all of his compadres? Compadres, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. With his troops and his guys he was with that he actually met Adolf Hitler. I think they probably talked about it a lot. I bet they did. They're like, what was he like in person? And what was this? And too bad you didn't just like kill him right there. Yeah. Yeah. Just do it. Yeah. Just get it over with. So there was a a New York Times article May 4th uh, that gave a bunch of credit to Lewis for administering first aid to the five wounded members of the bomber crew and saving the lives of two of those members on the return flight. Uh, from that April 21st Nauru raid. Quote, ground crewmen counted 500 bullet and shell fragment holes in the fuselage and tail structure of the big four-engine bomber after it had skidded to a stop with a flat tire. So when they actually landed back on the runway, it was like crash landing action. They just, I mean, everything was broken Mm -hmm. on that plane. Mm -hmm. It was amazing they landed. Yeah, amazing. It was no longer airworthy. And so all of the crew members who were still okay, like no injuries, whatever, they were all transferred to Hawaii to be reassigned. So they went back to probably, I'm guessing, Honolulu, Mm -hmm. like Pearl Harbor area. Mm -hmm. And then some of his same former like Superman crewmates, they were assigned with him to conduct a search for a lost aircraft and crew. So they were given another B-24. This one is called the Green Hornet. And apparently it was like really notorious among all of the pilots as being defective because they had been taking parts from other planes and kind of like Frankensteining this one plane together. Uh, I like how they named them all after like Marvel right? characters. Uh, Jen, I think you mean DC, uh, not Marvel. I don't even know <laughs> because I don't know, but I don't even know the difference between those two. All I know is there's like superhero things. Yeah. They all wear underwear on the outside. Yeah. That's all you need to know. (laughs) And Superman apparently was around since, what did I say? 1939? Yeah. And the green... Hornet. Hornet was around in 1936. Earlier. So there you go. There you go. They were named... Superheroes. After the DC universe. Superheroes. Or Marvel. I don't know. (laughs) I guess Marvel's Spider-Man, right? Yeah. Okay. It's lots of different... It's what Disney owns now. Yeah, I know. Because... So I was, glorious. I was there, but we didn't do those rides because apparently they're too scary for our little kids. Oh, that kind of makes sense. Yeah. All right. So the day before they're going to go on this mission where they're going to re- like rescue this crew that's been lost someplace over the ocean, Lewis does uh, just a run. He's like, let me just go for this run with everybody. You know, He had like someone driving in a car next to him. He's like, let's do, I'm going to run a mile. He actually ran it in four minutes, 12 seconds, but he was running on sand. What? I know. Anyway, I just love the running part. That's he's, it's that he's impressive. still running. Yeah. Still running all the time. He's always conditioning there because he loved it. Yeah. It's like his passion. Ugh. So on May 27th, 1943, they take off and they're going to be looking in the ocean south of Oahu. And 
while they're flying this plane, they're about, I think, 850 miles or 13, 1,370 kilometers south of Oahu at this point. And they start to get, they start to have mechanical difficulties because they're riding in this lemon. So like out in the middle of the ocean and the plane goes down. 